There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. Are you guys ladies? Are you guys ladies? I'm ladies. I'm pretty sure Louise is ladies. I know you're ladies. So ladies checking in. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm less dead than normal. I like that news. That's good news. Less dead than normal. I mean, cheers to that. There might be less coffee to edit out this episode finally. Ooh, I'm so excited about that. But you know, I've come to really recognize your cough in all of its sound wave beauty. I know exactly what it looks like. Yeah, I'd still prefer it's not there. Welcome back to Taboos, you guys. This is our very final week of No Fucks Given November. No Fucks Given November. Whoop, whoop, you guys survived. You Congratulations. Did. Round of applause to everybody. Seriously, like, we are so thrilled if you made it through this month with us. We are so grateful if you made it through this month with us. This month was so important to us, and I just... I really appreciate the feedback that we've gotten and the things that we've seen and the love that we've gotten on all of our episodes this month. Like, truly amazing. Yeah, it's been pretty incredible. The uh, listens have actually outperformed all of our other episodes. So you guys really showed up and showed the support for this month. And we're speechless. I'm speechless. I'm also speechless. I don't. I, am. I disagree with that. You always have words. Rude. No, nope. just true. But you're not wrong. But you're not wrong. <laughs> Rude, but I'm not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of that, you guys, I want to start this episode just a little bit different than we normally do. We do have a special guest joining us today, but uh, I have a surprise for Allie here with us because I just am so unbelievably proud of all we've accomplished in three short months, like I'm just absolutely beside myself. Like truly I am. To think that a few months ago I was joking with her and asked if we started a podcast and her response was absolutely not. I reapproached the subject with, what do you think of the name Taboos? And we talk about taboo culture on our podcast. And she was like, that's really cute. And I said, I know. And she was like, let me talk to Nick. And then here we are. To clarify, you initially wanted me to be in a podcast where I read a book a week. I was like, do you know my life? That is I, not okay, even a thing. You're not wrong. And honestly, we couldn't corner that market because there are so many other great book podcasts out there like Page Turners and Button Mashers. Like shout out to Nikki and Tyler for that. Like we'll leave the books alone. I This is more our vein anyway. This is what, this is what we're made to do. I agree. So in honor of 
achieving three months on this crazy journey that I am so unbelievably proud of and I feel so blessed to be doing with you, my best friend in the whole world. We have champagne today. Um, oh, also, not only the podcast thing, which is part of that. So bullet point one, podcast. Bullet point two, for anybody who follows me on Twitter, you'll know that I posted on Friday the 13th that I had a pretty fucking terrible Friday the 13th. Uh, We lost our kitten static on Friday, actually Thursday night, but I didn't know until Friday morning, and it was pretty terrible. I have never lost a pet before, and I had no idea what to fucking do, and it was just the worst. To clarify by lost, she means ran away, not dead. Not dead, yeah. He's not dead. No, he ran away. Um, He teleported out of my house. I have no idea how he got out, but he did, and uh, I just... The support from everybody was so amazing, but I want to give a specific special shout outs to Kel, who came over and helped me tear apart my house and put it back together and gave me love. I want to give a huge shout out to my parents and my sister, who took Tiny for the whole weekend and just really gave me time to comb the neighborhood and hand out flyers and cry, ugly cry, nonstop, because that was real. But also, I want to thank you because as I was on my 68th house of the morning, you came rolling down the street and I just, I couldn't help but just feel happy in that moment. And and this whole weekend, I didn't feel any happiness because all I felt was hope and then dread and then hope and then dread. And it was just so brutal. And in that moment, when you and Moose came rolling down the street, I was just happy and I was so grateful for you and to see your face and then i couldn't just do nothing but i also was awaiting covid tests i know i know but it, but i think Which that, is negative yay. yay negative tests but that's part of it like that's that's just part of it and i wanted to share that with our listeners because i need you guys to really hear me when i say that i have the best friend ever i have the best fucking friend ever And I really just want you guys to hear how much I appreciate this woman, this beautiful, brave, smart, funny, sexy, amazing woman who I love so much, and I get to share her every week with you guys, and that just makes me so happy. So there was me tying our friendship and our podcast together in that moment. Meanwhile, I'm over here just being the asshole that doesn't have a three-month gift for you and (laughs) just sitting here like... Cool. Okay, so so I have a gift. This gift is your Christmas present. It is a thank you for helping me find static. It is a congratulations on our three-month anniversary. It is, I'm sure, some sort of friendship anniversary that I have missed. It's, uh, I'm sorry for missing the day of your birthday every year, but always (laughs) celebrating your birthday. I just have no concept of fucking calendar time. This is just this is just an all-encompassing gift of how much I fucking love you and how grateful I am for you. Also, because we hit 130 listens on white privilege in 14 days, and I'm so fucking proud of that. Yep, same. So this gift is for all of those occasions. Okay. Are you ready? I am. Okay. For you guys for you guys listening, I'm actually atrocious at accepting gifts. Yeah, she so. is. It's fucking terrible. So it, when you just hear deadpan, like, no, she's really excited. You are such a dork. I am super excited. I know you are. <laughs> okay, so I've received heated gloves. They're amazing. It's like, it's like a seat warmer for your fucking hands. 
I have Renaud syndrome. Or Menard's syndrome. Yep. Which in Wisconsin is fucking piece of shit syndrome (laughs) to have. And basically it just means that the blood flow to my extremities sucks and my fingers and toes and whatever the fuck else turns purple when it's cold out. Like really quickly too. And when you have a toddler that doesn't want to come inside, that makes for interesting times. And it's it's already begun. So like, so the other day I was outside with Moose. He didn't want to come in. I took pictures because my fingers were purple and basically said winter has come. So I am super excited. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. These are the shit. They're so comfortable. Okay. And then also just a side little story. You guys know that we're not really a banter podcast, but this is just, you're sharing this moment with us. So here we are. So fun story about me. I have the smallest hands ever. Like I literally have very, very fucking small hands. And on this box for these heated gloves, may I? Did you open them? No. Oh, I tested them in the store. For the these gloves, they have this hand chart, okay? So in the store, I got you medium, you can see. Yeah. And I tried them on and I was like, oh, you know, these are a little, a little big, but your hands are not as fucking microscopic as my hands. No, I have so, kangaroo hands and feet. Kangaroo hands. Yes. Wow. I don't see that, but your hands are bigger than my fucking baby <laughs> hands. So I don't know. Everybody's hands are bigger than my fucking hands. So I tried on the medium and I was like, you know, it's just a little bit big, but that'll be okay for you. And then I get them home and I texted you your size and and you didn't answer because you don't answer. And then I texted Nick who did answer and he said the medium should be okay. And while I was looking and waiting for a response, I saw this size chart. Okay. Watch. Watch this. Okay. So there's this size chart where you put your wrist at the bottom of the box and then it tells you there are little increments of sizes for the fingertips measuring at your middle finger. That is super fucking smart. I fucking love it. Okay. Here we go. Wrist down. Fingers on. Where do I fall? Oh my God. What is that? Smaller than the extra fucking small. <laughs> God. Okay. Hang on. I am <laughs> literally, you guys, the box basically says toddler gloves. Oh, look at that. Medium's perfect. Oh, look. Medium will be perfect. That's baller. So, yeah, I that have... That is so smart. <laughs> I know. I loved it. Thank you. You are so unbelievably welcome. I really hope you wear the shit out of them because they're so comfortable and they make your fingers literally feel like they're in a little toaster. We're going hunting in two weeks, so... Perfect. Yeah, two weeks. Oh, that's amazing. So, there was our little friendship moment... Thank you guys. A huge part of that. We couldn't even be celebrating without you guys. So thank you for being a part of that moment with us and honestly just getting us to this point at all. Yeah, thank you. So without further ado, let's roll into the final episode of No Fucks Given November. No Fucks Given November. We are making shirts that say I survived No Fucks Given November. They will be on our Merch, merch page is yep. that what it is called yeah they merch. will be on our merch page i don't know what just happened i totally just had a brain aneurysm sorry i also looked at you like <laughs> i don't know what the fuck <laughs> like, this is. what the fuck are we doing all right so Allie is correct let's get started on our last episode of no fucks given november this week is going to be absolutely amazing i'm so 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 excited You know what? We're just going to skip the intro altogether and uh, just let you guys know that we have yet another special guest with us today. 
and we are going to go call her and we'll be right back. Hello, Miss Louise. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh my God, I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're welcome. This is going to be an amazing episode. I cannot wait. I also cannot wait. Today is not Thanksgiving, but this episode will be airing on November 26th. It's going to be airing on Thanksgiving. It is. Yeah. That's why I said, ooh, in the middle of your sentence. But I also, for anybody who is listening to this episode on the date it airs, it's Thanksgiving. Thank you for saying the same thing twice in the same sentence. You're welcome. It's what I'm here to do. It's all I do here. (laughs) I think that's a good segue as to what this episode is about. Cheers! Hey, anybody in this room or, uh, in another room on this call, want to tell me that uh, Thanksgiving may or may not truly be about what we think it's about? That sentence made no sense. It Somebody didn't, but save me. You, you were such an asshole to me. I will confirm. I will confirm that Thanksgiving is probably not what we all think it's about. I'm also of the position that Thanksgiving is not what we think it is, which I have a dichotomy about because... Thanksgiving as a conceptual holiday is actually my favorite holiday. Mm -hmm. What Thanksgiving represents in the fact of why it's a holiday, I really fucking hate. Agreed. So that's why this episode is happening. And on Thanksgiving. And as our last episode of No Fucks Given November. So to clarify, this episode is the truth behind Thanksgiving. Dun, dun, dun. I knew you were going to make that exact noise. (laughs) I literally was sitting here waiting for it. I know, I could tell. I could tell by the way that you were looking at me waiting to take a drink. Crazy. Speaking of drinks, and also our guest, Louise, uh, who we are going to allow to introduce herself in just a moment, but let's talk about drinks. Miss Louise, what are you having to drink this evening? I am having some turmeric hot tea in my Wonder Woman mug. (gasps) Ooh, cheers to Wonder Woman mug. I love it. That's what I should be drinking because I my throat is still not healed. It's not, but you do sound better. Thank you. You're welcome, and I'm glad because this I know this episode you were really excited about because it's yours. Hopefully by November 2021. I literally couldn't think of what next year was. <laughs> I, I watched. I watched those gears turn yep. too. That was impressive. Uh, Allie, would you like to tell our listeners what we are drinking tonight? We're drinking mimosas. We are. We totally forgot to talk about it in our pre-calling Louise celebration. So here's us telling you we're drinking mimosas as celebration of all the things. All the things. Cheers, ladies, to Cheers. the things. Cheers. Clink. I'm not gonna try to clink glasses because we had a we had an issue with the. The cork pop with the <laughs> champagne is good. So, Miss Louise, would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners and so that we can get this conversation started? Because I am so excited. Sure, I would love to. So, my name is Louise. I am a citizen of a tribal nation of Wisconsin on my dad's side. I'm also Aztec in ancestry on my dad's side, and I am European on my mom's side. So coming from that background, I think I have had a unique experience with Thanksgiving through my many years of life. Yeah. What? Speaking of dichotomy, like, that's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) So awesome. And yet so many things happening. Like, what? What a controversial perspective. Agreed. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Like, seriously. I am too. 
Same. Okay, I'm going to find somewhere safe to put... Oh, look it. Thank you for momming me. You're welcome. I just found somewhere safe to put my My second job that I do this (laughs) podcast. Are you guys ready to dive into some history? Let's do it. Let's do it. There is a lot. There is a lot of um, sources in this episode, so buckle up, buttercup. I'm buckled, and I'm here for the sources. You know I love citing my sources. So to start out with this first part... My sources were Bustle, HuffPost, SmithsonMag.com, History.com, and the New York Times. Nice variety. Cheers to Bustle. Cheers to Bustle. So I found a quote from SmithsonianMag.com from an interview that they did with a person of Native American descent who was discussing how Thanksgiving impacted them growing up. And I thought that this quote was extremely important and summed up how I wanted to start this out. I'm excited for it. Let's hear it. What is the Thanksgiving myth? The myth is that friendly Indians, unidentified by tribe, welcomed welcomed the pilgrims to America, teach them how to live in this new place, sit down to dinner with them, and then disappear. They hand off America to white people so that they can create a great nation dedicated to liberty, opportunity, and Christianity for the rest of the world to profit. That's the story. It's about Native people conceding colonialism. It's bloodless and in many ways an extension of the ideology of manifest destiny. Okay. End quote. End quote. And I thought that was a perfect summation of what I personally at least learned Thanksgiving was in school. No, same. Exactly the same thing. Like, I don't know if I could have articulated it to that level, but definitely that is what I was taught Mm -hmm. growing up in a Eurocentric education system. And Louise, what did you learn about Thanksgiving growing up in school? So just like Celeste said, I don't think that I could articulate it quite as well as the person that you quoted, but that was pretty much it. I did not grow up in a, I I did not grow up with other Native people around me. Um, I didn't grow up on the reservation. I actually grew up in the South where there was like no Native people. Oh. So it was definitely a unique experience to know that I am part of this culture, that I was basically being taught something very unrealistic about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did that cause any issues for you as you were growing up? Kind, Maybe not in like your self-identity as Louise, but your self-identity as in where you came from? Absolutely. I can... So... If I can share a story, kind yeah, of share away. Mm-hmm. Just to just to put into perspective how what a dichotomy it was. Okay, so before I lived in the South, this was when I was a small child. I want to say first grade. We lived in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington D.C., and there was a very multicultural population there. But again, like no Native people. There were Hispanic people. There were people from like the Middle East, you know, and then of course you, you had your white people. And so. Being one of the non-white groups of people, we would always, always be split into like the white kids and then the other kids when it came the to not Thanksgiving. white kids. Yeah. Right. So, so I don't, I guess the best example that I can give for like a visual of this is um, if you guys have ever seen Adam's Family Values where they're at camp and they have to do this play where there's like all of these white kids and then all of the other kids like Mm -hmm. that is how my school was set up that's how it was in northern virginia that's how it was in um, georgia when i lived there but the thing is is that i did not know 
that I was actually part of the Native American group culturally until after I had been participating in this. Oh, so kind of going back when I was in first grade, I can remember learning about kind of the civil rights movement for Martin Luther King Day, right? And so I come home, my parents are together at this time, and I start talking to my dad about being black because I didn't know that he was not black. I just knew that he was darker than my mom and that I was kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the conversation that I had with my parents at that time was my mom saying, oh, no, 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 we're not black. You're not black. Your dad's not black. Like really dismissing what I was saying and then also not admitting necessarily to what his culture was. And so then after they separated, um, my dad is originally from this area. So he came back up this way and my mom and I moved to Georgia where pretty much the same thing. There was no native people. And I think because, and, and then there was also a strong desire for kind of fitting in with all of the white folks. So there was a lot of pressure on me to be this certain person that I, even though I knew that I wasn't necessarily that, I did not know what I was. I did not know how to identify. So it did, it it created a, I would say large amount of like struggle with my own cultural identity and my own personal identity really until I moved up here after high school. And this, and I've lived here for about the last 20 years. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, seriously. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Sorry, that was kind of a long answer to a short question. No, oh my God, never. It During this call or any conversation you have with us, please don't be sorry for anything you say. We want to hear all of it. Yeah, that's literally why okay. we have you on. It is awesome. why we have okay. you on. And it's also I'm not, punching my glass. Cool. It's not just for the... It's not just for the podcast either. Like, we want to learn. This is, yeah. The podcast really was started for us. <laughs> so it was. It was, honestly. Like, we, we're just open to these conversations and we know we couldn't, we could not gain from research what we could possibly ever gain from hearing your experiences and your perspectives and what you've gone through as a native woman in this country. And I mean, we're having this conversation personally, but also this conversation benefits other Native Americans who might listen to our podcast or other just cultures in general who yeah. listen to our podcast who are like, oh, I didn't know that. Maybe mm-hmm. I should look at this differently. So there's a lot of different facets of this conversation, but please don't ever be sorry for anything that you say at all. Like, we're here yep. for it. Awesome. Great. Thank you. <laughs> so going back to some history here, I'm about to debunk some things, at least things that I personally learned in school. So things I also learned. So debunk away, baby. First off, the settlers weren't actually coming here to seek religious freedom, as I was told. At Shut least. up. They weren't? Nope. The British Tea Party was all bullshit? I'll expand upon that. Okay. They had already found religious freedom in Holland when they first arrived there in the 17th century. They came to the States to make money as they were in poverty in Holland and there was promise of great economic prosperity across the ocean. They also wanted to spread the word of God. So they already had the religious freedom. They had their freedom. They wanted to impress that freedom upon other fucking people by taking away their freedom? Well, there's that. There's also, to a degree, they were afraid that the Dutch people's influence, quote-unquote, was bad for their children. And... (laughs) And and they were in poverty and heard that across the ocean there's all these opportunities. So go there. It'll be great. La-di-da. This feels like the appropriate time for me to interject my favorite line 
of fuck Christopher Columbus. I know we're going to talk about him. Well, no, he doesn't come up here. Oh. Sorry. (laughs) I'm I'm just excited to say it a bunch of times in this episode. Yes, I would say as many times as you want. Fuck Christopher Columbus. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck Christopher Columbus. So what Allie had kind of talked about is, is from my understanding, is absolutely true. So the church of Europe, I guess, I mean, I know it wasn't, Christianity was spread pretty much throughout Europe. um, And even my understanding is with obstacles or conflict between Protestants and Catholics, they had pretty much agreed upon this idea of the doctrine of discovery, which basically said, if you are, you as a Christian come across people who are non-Christian, they are non-human. Therefore, any other morality that you would otherwise subscribe to, you don't have to, because if they're not Christian, they're not human. And they brought that philosophy with them. So basically like the purge meets religion. I've never seen the purge. I have not either, but I believe you. (laughs) Oh, I also you believe guys, you. the one scary movie that I've seen. <laughs> no, they, neither of you have seen. That's awesome. But that's what I interpret that as is. So the premise of the purge is you have 24 hours to do literally whatever you want, break any law. There are zero consequences for this 24 hour period. It's like this national holiday. So that's what I think about to what you're saying, Louise. But then pair that with religion so it's not a 24-hour period that you get to do whatever you want. It's to anyone who is not Christian, you get to do whatever you want. Correct. That's fucked up. Yeah. Which is, you know, kind of, and I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves here, but kind of why the first contact works so well, right? Because there are, so there are many different tribal nations here in the United States now, and there were at the time of, you know, when colonization began, but, um, and even though each tribe and, you know, and everybody has their own kind of unique language and culture and, and practices and everything, there was this kind of common thread philosophy that, yes, we are all human beings whose lives are valued and we want to be able to you know, provide collectively for the greater good of human being. And so that was the philosophy of the native people that were already here. So when they see, you know, their European um, counterparts coming and they see that they're in need, yes, because of the deeply rooted philosophy that they had been living by for thousands of years, they're Mm going to help them get out of poverty, provide them with resources that they need to survive. Meanwhile, the people that are coming here have the philosophy of, yes, you should be providing us with those things because we are superior to you because we are Christian. So Mm -hmm. I think that kind of differences in worldviews when maybe the pilgrims and indigenous people first met is why it kind of led down that road to be easily taken advantage of throughout colonization. Yeah. And I know you have another point, but super, super fast because Louise just said this and this really just really brought me back to our white privilege episode where we talk about white supremacy pretty deeply. What you just said, Louise, was that the Native American people offered help, right? And from this perspective of what we're talking about, the Christian people took it. But we know that those Christian people were European, which historically European people have been white in complexion. I actually am really curious if that entitlement as it approached our continent is really the foundation of white supremacy that that like that seed alone like are you guys following me and what i'm saying 
Yeah, I, I believe so. Because it, like in, in black culture, in, you know, Asian American culture, in Native American culture, we talk about that historical trauma, right, being passed down from generation yeah. to generation. I absolutely believe that that idea of supremacy has been passed down from generation to generation as well. Yeah, and truly, it had to have started here with Native Americans, because in Europe, everyone, I mean, I'm not, I'm not being insensitive, but like in Europe, the most, the majority of people were white. Well, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it started, I don't think it started here with Native Americans. I think it started wherever there was somebody that somebody else could step on, and the privileged were always white regardless that's fair and they were the ones that came over to continue to step on other people in other lands so it literally just started with a race and was handed down by that race okay unfortunately that's fair i think i specifically meant in relation to our country but you are right and thank you for redirecting that train of thought to be more encompassing because you're correct this White supremacy concept is an issue across the globe, but I meant specifically in relation to our country and how deeply rooted white supremacy is in our country. So that's kind of where I was going with that. But I honestly think that religion gave some sort of false narrative to all the kinds people of shit. that practiced it and yeah. they got blown up heads and fucking worshiped themselves and sorry. Don't <laughs> be sorry. Don't be sorry at all. No, and I think that I think that you're right. Like I think that I think that what's less said like in this country that that's probably where it came from, but it, but it was it goes back way farther than that. Like you said, Ali, I think I mean really it goes back even, you know, pre-Christianity to ancient religions and establishing hierarchies and anything that mm-hmm. humans could do to force themselves into a higher status of power yeah, of exactly. greed, of possessions, like anything that they could do is really what drove that those those hierarchies which were so normalized in European culture and completely foreign to Native American mm-hmm. culture. There was no hierarchies. There was no, I mean, the people had different jobs and different positions, but each one were valued as much as the next, you know. And mm-hmm. contributed to the greater whole. Exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah. So then truly, this concept is exactly where the white supremacy pyramid started with our country. Like, honestly, like that that's what I'm taking away from that because to Louise's point, the rest of the world at the time had operated on a hierarchy system. We had never heard of one. And they literally just showed up and were like, this is a hierarchy system. And you guys are at the bottom. And that. So I just, I don't know. I, I appreciate that we explored that. I know mm-hmm. that that wasn't in your notes, but... Please carry on with your history because I'm so excited about it. I know that that wasn't in your notes. I know it it wasn't. Side tangent on white supremacy and white privilege right here. Q Celeste. It's all intersectional. It all goes together. It is. It is. Welcome to No Fucks Given November, Allie. So the next point of history that, I don't know, I might have learned this portion of it, but the settlers on the Mayflower were actually sailing for Virginia, not Massachusetts, a.k.a. navigate so hard. Navigate so hard. Normally, Plymouth Rock was jam-packed with indigenous settlements. Therefore, there would have been no room for the pilgrims. Several epidemics, however, had wiped out the coastal tribes a few years prior. So the settlers basically showed up to a graveyard and immediately began, began raiding it for food and supplies. 
fucking rude. Mm-hmm. Rude. But think about that. They immediately, they showed up and benefited on death of the indigenous people that were there. Yeah. Fucking rude. I just, I just can't. But not surprising because no, no not at all. Was that sense of entitlement, you know, we deserve that. <laughs> Okay, this is this is what I hate about this month, honestly, and about all of the episodes we've done this month, is it isn't surprising. You're right, because, like, it isn't, and yet it is because nobody's ever said it to me before. Yeah. Nobody's ever told me the truth about this before, so it is surprising to me because it's brand new information, and yet it's not surprising because I'm like, well, yeah, white people fucking suck. So that's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's been my biggest gripe this month. Is I just, know. I just, like, we need to just learn this. I, I don't disagree at all, which is a whole other episode that's not part of No Fucks Given November. Stay tuned. So the settlers actually weren't called pilgrims until orator Daniel Webster used the term in 1820. They were originally called saints or separatists. Oh, fuck me. That's wrong. No. Well, separatists make sense. Yeah, but not saints. No. I mean, to them at the time it did. Yeah, that's self-worshipping bullshit, though. Yeah. I, I mean, fucking... Yeah, duh. No. Carry on. And um, contrary to popular belief, it wasn't the first contact situation that a lot of people depict it to be. I'm going to mispronounce a lot of words here, Louise, so for the love of God, please... Please correct me here. She does it even when she's speaking normal English, so it's I'll okay. do my best. I don't know if I can. Um, and I just kind of <laughs> want to interject this here. Um, so there are 574 currently federally recognized tribes in the United States, all with their different cultures and languages. So I don't know those tribes, and there were probably a lot more, um, you know, 500 years ago. But I will do my best to correct you if needed, if I can. My face. My face is so happy right now. I felt it. Oh my god, I'm so excited. I only have a few of them here, so I think I'll be okay, but... Okay. The Wampanoags had already had a sanctuary... Sanctuary. (laughs) See? A normal word. I was so focused on Wampanoag that I can't speak English. Yep. Cool. Had a century of often bloody encounters with Europeans prior to the settlers showing up. Okay. I believe that, yeah, so in just kind of my history and my reading, I don't know if um, this is the same, I guess, European group, but that Vikings were here kind of um, coming from northern, like, Nova Scotia area Yep. into the Americas long before, like, the Pilgrims did, yeah. Yeah, and oh. crazy thing is, they're still discovering areas that Vikings went to that we don't even know about. It's Vikings went everywhere, man. What I love about that, though, I mean, I don't love what Vikings did as far as I know. No, me neither. Pillage and plunder, right? Like, we don't need that. But what I appreciate is that they came, they saw, they left. It wasn't that they came, they saw, they overthrew. Because if that were the case, honestly, Viking, Nordic culture would have taken over the world. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously, that, like, that's insane. So I, I get... I give small appreciation to Vikings and to Nordic culture for not doing that. I can understand that. Yeah. 
So the first Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving air quotes in 1621, was most likely just a regular harvest celebration. It wasn't even a holiday until Lincoln declared it as one during the Civil War. That's news to me. I I don't remember what I learned about it in school. I, I, so. My whole everything. The fact that Lincoln is who made it a holiday, that is completely news to me. And I don't know why, but I just got this very distinct flashback of being in kindergarten in Mrs. Metalman's class, and we made little weave placemats, like paper, construction paper weaved placemats, and little pilgrim's hats. And we were told and taught that this first Thanksgiving was Thanksgiving, and it was a holiday ever since. Yep, definitely not the case. Definitely fucking not the case. And I would be interested to explore, because I don't know the answer to this, if Lincoln declaring Thanksgiving a holiday had anything to do with maybe making up for the execution of 38, I believe, Dakota um, tribal members, men. If What? Yeah. So I only saw a little piece of his reasoning behind it, so I didn't dig deep enough into it, but part of what I saw was essentially... They needed a morale booster. Which isn't surprising. Disgusting. So I wonder if that's part of the reason. Yeah. yeah, could be. Also, I know that Lincoln as a president isn't the good guy. He's not the quote unquote honest Abe that I was raised to believe him to be. Like, okay, I, I acknowledge that. I'm not ignorant enough to not know that. But what you just shared with us, Louise, that's the first time I've ever heard that. I didn't realize that Lincoln had... I didn't realize that he had such a tarnished past. I really mm -hmm. didn't. Yeah. And I, I don't know the entire history behind the Dakota 38. I believe it had something to do with um, battle with, with a battle over um, Dakota or Sioux land um, that sure. they were trying to defend um, and they were unsuccessful in defending it. And Lincoln ordered them executed. I believe um, the anniversary is the day after Christmas. <gasps> Oh, I'm actually speechless. Oh, my God. I'm just rolling my eyes because I'm once again not shocked. And I am entirely shocked, but not surprised. Oh, my God. Okay, please, let's keep talking about the things because I know that <laughs> I know that my brain is just going to continue to explode throughout this episode, and I'm going to be nothing but a fucking vegetable by the end of this. So, as opposed to the commonly depicted story... The Native Americans were most likely not actually invited to the feast. They were probably there because they were responding to gunfire in the area or a diplomatic visit or because they were planting crops in the area. I love that you were laughing during that too. Cause I'm uncomfortably laughing <laughs> I because I just can't. We're having this party, but you're not invited, even though we're using your land, your supplies, mm -hmm. your produce, your... By Everything. The way, by the way, thanks for teaching us how to plant this, and thanks for our first harvest. We're going to have this party without You're you. You're not fucking invited. It's just so fucking stupid. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Let's keep going. I'm so excited. So the pilgrims, obviously, were unprepared for settlement life in that area and would raid the storehouses and graves of the Wampanoag tribe, who were the same tribe that they later asked for help. Of course they were. You can't come to our party, but and we need you to teach us the things. This part ties into what you were talking into 
This part ties into what you were talking about too earlier, Louise, where you stated how the Native Americans just wanted to help. They believed in helping humans. Yeah. Period. Tisquantum, a.k.a. Squanto, is often depicted in the Thanksgiving stories and did a ton to help the settlers, such as acting as a translator, helping trade and crop growth, but his backstory isn't told. He was actually captured by the English in 1614 and sold into slavery to Spain. By the time he was able to return to his tribe in 1619, they had been decimated by smallpox, and yet he was still willing to help the pilgrims when he met them. What a good man. Yeah, so that just speaks to how wonderful. And welcoming and just inclusive, like inclusive Native American people were. He was sold into slavery. His tribe was destroyed by the time he got back. And he still Was like, let me help you. Oh, that makes me so sad. I fucking hate this. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of other history. that kind of speaks to that same philosophy and that same treatment. If I can just share a little tidbit, um, there is a, so the Oneida people were originally from the upstate New York area and they were like many other tribes recruited by both the, um, you know, colonizers and the British to fight on their side in the Revolutionary War. Um, So there was an Oneida woman, her name is Polly Cooper. In the winter of, 1770 something the so George Washington's troops were starving at Valley Forge and Polly Cooper who was an Oneida woman traveled with our traditional white corn to save these troops to keep them alive throughout this winter taught them how to use it taught them how to ration it taught them how to not overly consume them for their stomachs to explode Um, basically had her and her people not done that the colonies would not have won the war and we would not have had the United States as it stands. The Oneidas, um, or the way that the troops responded down down the road to the Oneida people for helping to win the war was to relocate them to Wisconsin after burning villages and pillaging and, and everything, so. Of course it was. Of course, yeah. I actually have no words. Okay, I was waiting. I really was thinking about, I really have no words. I have no words. Genuinely. I just, holy fuck. And then. And I mean, and those are just a few examples. Like another one that comes to mind is, I, I would say within the last few years around here, there is a historical site where it made the news that, um, you know, local indigenous artifacts were found under this historical site. And everyone's like, oh, wow, how weird. And I think that we have this idea that as colonization kind of moved westward, you know, from the colonies to this area, that it was all just forest and no man's land and that buildings were built where there was nothing. And people fail to see the evidence when artifacts are discovered under historical sites that, no, this is evidence that they just plot their colonization right on top of the community that was already there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is just so fucked up. So fucked up. So the slaughter of the Pequot tribe in 1637, in which over 500 Native Americans were shot clubbed and burned alive including women and children by a band of puritans and mohegans was the real origin of thanksgiving 
according to some, as there were accounts that it was proclaimed as such by Massachusetts Bay Governor John Winthrop. He stated this in gratitude to God for the destruction of the village. Massacres of the natives were routinely followed by days of Thanksgiving thereafter. One thing to note is that there was violence on all sides of this initially, but the Puritans and allies literally slaughtered the tribe. So, did I just understand you correctly in saying that every time they slaughtered indigenous people, they had this, like, quote-unquote Thanksgiving? Apparently. That there were that there were days or of a things. celebration there was yes. a, there was a period of celebration that we just annihilated a group of fucking people from my understanding who tried to help us mm-hmm. fuck that shit fuck all that shit that's all i have to say about that nope i concur yeah cheers to that fuck that shit dear listener if you don't understand why that's wrong you don't have to be on our podcast bye-bye Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think that it, I mean, that, that story that you just shared really speaks to that, the, that idea that these people, like the native people were not viewed as human. It didn't matter if they shared their supplies. It didn't matter if they provided food, shelter, or to meet those basic needs. It came down, all it came down to was that they were not Christian. Therefore, the colonizers felt justified in destroying hundreds of thousands of lives over time because they were not viewed as human lives. And what what just really clicked in my mind is this perspective of I am sure that there are listeners who are experiencing this this historical journey with us who are like, well, okay, but the colonizers might not have been all bad because maybe it was a hostile environment. I mean, that happens in war, right? And then you celebrate a victory from war. That that goes back to the beginning of fucking time. Like, that's that's even an animalistic thing, okay? But, dear listeners, let's go back to saying this wasn't a hostile environment. This was not that. Yeah, and it, it did not become hostile until... The Europeans brought that way of basically conflict resolution. You know, prior to that, yes, there was conflict between tribes. Oftentimes, they would resolve that conflict if they could not do it through negotiation and through conversation and barter. There there was a game. They would literally play a game to determine who the winner was. And very few lives were lost. So the, the bloodshed, the fighting, the warring that people talk about that that took place among the tribes did not occur until they were pretty much forced to form allies with other European settlements in order to preserve their own well-being and their own livelihood. Yeah, and from what I was reading, there was or there were issues on both sides where there were attacks of small increments, but the main thing here is the Puritans literally slaughtered. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. They went from from zero to a hundred. Yeah. There's no, there is no excusing that. There no, isn't. No, and And I think what you just said is that there might have been little fights here and there, which happens. People get territorial, right? Like, I'm not saying that the Native Americans were completely peaceful the entire time. I'm sure someone had a problem with it, right? Like, we weren't there. We don't know that. We can't speak to that. But... A singular fight here and a singular fight there is not the same as 
extinguishing an entire population of people by the thousands. Mm -hmm. A fight here and there is not the same as a fucking massacre. And that Native American people did not bring that to this fucking table. Yeah. So I have two final pieces here of history. I love your history. It's the first time you've ever said that you like history. I know, especially on this episode. Like, how fucking brutal. Another thing to note is that the image of Thanksgiving is often referenced to as the peace between the pilgrims and Wampanoag. What isn't noted is that this eroded as time went on due to the colonists continuing to push boundaries and resulted in an extremely bloody outcome on both sides known as King Philip's War. And then the last piece is... Thanksgiving has been replaced by some Native Americans by the National Day of Mourning. As I feel like it should be. I agree. I go back to, I love Thanksgiving conceptually. I love the idea of a holiday that forces us, or forces is wrong, but encourages us to truly be thankful for what we have instead of all of the commercialistic Holidays that are literally 90% of the other fucking holidays we have in this country. But I really, really don't feel good about celebrating knowing why that tradition was born. Louise, what are your thoughts here? Um, well, thank you for asking. It is hard. It is, you know, kind of going back to that dichotomy because I, you know, spent the first half of my life, I guess, kind of in a pre-awakened bliss where I thought that I could just, you know, have the best of both worlds, you know, like I could be native Mm -hmm. and I could also assimilate with dominant culture. Um, And so, you know, like celebrating Thanksgiving was the norm for like the first half of my life. And then as I moved up here and really started to embrace and learn about and become awakened of my native culture, um, I realized that it's, it's hard. It's hard to walk that tightrope or, you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to have that balance. Um, and by celebrating Thanksgiving in the origin that it was taught to me for the first 20 years of my life, I realized that I am not honoring my culture and I'm not honoring my ancestors or my heritage by, by celebrating it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I don't, um, I still go to family Thanksgivings, but fortunately I think a lot of native people have adopted humor to be able to navigate such hard times. And so when I go to Thanksgiving, um, usually it's met with some humor about it, you know, like, oh, well, you know, we only celebrated it that one time or, but now I have all kinds of ammo with um, bringing in this whole something else thing at Thanksgiving this year. So, you know, I, I'm going to be really honest. I don't know what that is. I've seen the, I've seen, I saw that you had posted something on Facebook about this, but I, I genuinely don't know what this is. Cool. Can I? It's wonderful. Can I ask? Yeah. So um, election day, CNN had kind of done this poll uh, broken up into demographics of 
white, black, Hispanic, Asian, and something else. And that's the graphic that they had on CNN. So I guess, you know, across like native communities, um, you know, across our country, we just embraced it and ran with it and made it into a big joke. And it's like, hell yeah, we're something else. Um, Oh my God, yes. But also, okay, I love that it has been empowering and, and that native people have found the humor, like you said, but at the same time, how fucking insulting mm-hmm. that yes. our president. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy well, fucking shit. I think it had to do it had to do more with like exit polls, right? So like what okay. is your demographic mm-hmm. and who did you vote for? So it was it was CNN that had um put up the graphic and you know and people were kind of coming to the defense of like, oh well, you know, if that's just what they answered, that's just what they answered. And it's like, okay, well if you're gonna have demographics um, accounted for they need to be inclusive yeah. yeah they need to be inclusive and eliminate the line that where somebody can check something else or replace it with i prefer not to answer or something i mean right. um, and those are those like small microaggressions or that's an example of one of those small like microaggressions that just build up over time you know not just for indigenous people but for you know other marginalized populations mm-hmm. but yeah i think there was a, there was a lot of humorous feedback um across social media in response to the something else um, but there was also a lot of people um who really took it back and you know said i am not something else i am you know I'm from this tribe and this is my clan. And so it was, it was funny, but it was also empowering. And it's also kind of like humorous, like kind of because that's what we're used to, you know, native people make up a very small portion of the population in this country. And so we're kind of accustomed to just being forgotten. So, you know, it felt kind of like, I, I guess it was funny because we're just not surprised. A funny, not funny moment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I feel conflicted about that. <laughs> I I do. I hear you say like, it's funny because hell yeah, I'm something else. Like tiny is something else. Like she, I, I understand the draw to that in a positive way. But at the same time, I do just go back to like how fucking insulting that mm-hmm. you couldn't yeah. and they gave, like, identify kind of people correctly. Yeah, of course they did. Mm-hmm. Not nothing full assed though. Nope. Right. No. <laughs> Only half assed. Only half of it. Just the right cheek. That's yep. just sad. All right. Carry on. So the next part that I have is the economic side of things. Um, a few sources for this portion is Forbes.com, Britannica.com, and NCRC.org. So the first part here is in relation to um, specifically reservation issues. It'll make more sense once I start talking about it. So, like issues within reservations? Nope. That's okay. why it's going to make more sense in a second. I'm excited for it to make more sense. Yay. So, from Britannica.com. Economic underdevelopment has been an ongoing problem for many tribes since the beginning of the reservation eras in the United States and Canada. Reservations are typically located in economically marginal rural areas, that is, areas considered to be too dry, too wet, too steep to remote or possessing some other hindrance to productivity even at the time of their creation. This blew my mind because we look at where a house is built. Mm -hmm. If it's built in swampland, it's not worth as much Mm because nobody wants to live in swampland. I never thought of that when it came to land delegation for reservations and how land being delegated by the government, they wouldn't be choosing prime real estate. Well, not only that, but 
they literally said, we will give you land. And then they turn around to their golf buddies and are like, ha 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 ha, we're giving them uninhabitable land. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I just said it in layman's terms. Yep. Sorry. So my, my bad. That kind of blew my mind. <laughs> that yeah, also and, blows my mind. And I think that, I mean, it was specifically designed that way to rob tribes of their natural resources because if they didn't mm-hmm. have waters to fish or land to hunt, then they could not provide their families with food and they would have to rely on government assistance, food commodities, things like that, which, you know, really created kind of a interdependence on the United States government. And at the same time, a lot of mistrust, at, well, for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, you know, obvious reasons. Um, so yeah, yeah. Land allotment could go on for days yep. about that too. That, I, I, that's news to me. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it is. And I, I was aware of land allotment. That, that concept isn't news to me, but the here's your here's your plot of land, JK LOL, it's uninhabitable, that is news to me. And I guess I never really I'm just gonna be honest, I never thought about like why this piece of land. Like that never occurred to me. It was just okay, this was where these people ended up. I didn't I I truly never, I never learned it. I never put thought into it. And it makes sense to me, especially after our government took control of the continent in regard to property. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that never would have occurred to me. So thank you both, honestly, for sharing that and teaching me that because that blows my fucking mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and I think, I mean, it all, I, again, like everything, it's all kind of you know, meets at intersections because, and I apologize if I'm getting too far ahead of of ourselves, but, you know, there's the concept of blood quantum where native people along with horses and dogs are the only living things that are measured by blood quantum, where the relocation to reservation as well as relocation to urban Indian centers um, played a huge part directed by the U.S. government to intentionally dilute blood quantum, resulting in fewer eligible members of tribes. So when you say blood quantum, I want to make sure I understand this. Is that the, and the reason you said, or the reason that my brain went here is because you had specifically mentioned horses and dogs. Is that the blood quantum the equivalent of like your quote unquote purity as in relation to that origin of where you came from culturally? Yes. Yeah. So of the um, federally recognized tribes, I most of them, in order to be enrolled in that tribe, a citizen has to possess at least one quarter blood quantum of, of that tribe. Sure. Um, so, and there's a lot of complications. There's a lot of, you know, again, I could go on for days um, about the benefits of examining blood quantum compared to not um, and how it's my perspective that the idea of blood quantum is a colonizer's concept. Um, But that's easy for me to say because I'm only one fourth um, of the tribe that I'm enrolled in. So, you know, there are people who have stayed on the reservation, been part of the community and part of the culture where that lineage is, I guess, stronger. And so, you know, when, when we look at 
being able to provide services or allow citizenship to people who have lower blood quantum. It's kind of, I guess, uh, people who have lived on the reservation for longer and have, I guess, a higher blood quantum within their family, you know, they don't want to see it reduced down to like one eighth or further. So it's, I mean, it's kind of this, again, dichotomy, even within native cultures of, you know, who deserves to be recognized as a citizen of that nation. If you moved away and you're living across the country and you are one fourth and you're enrolled, do you deserve the benefits of that tribe if you're not living in part of that community? And I, I don't have the answers to that, but it's just one of the many, many layers of things to consider as a native person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, can I ask, and I just, I'm just curious from your perspective, And you had mentioned that you have a lot of thoughts, which I love and would love to hear about all of them. But for the sake of our time-condensed conversation, can I have one pro and one con from your perspective to the blood quantum theory? One con, I would think, is because it creates division and it silos people instead of bridging gaps. And so that, I guess, would be the con to the blood quantum theory. Um, One pro to it, um, you know... If a tribe, for example, has 20,000 enrolled members, you know, with one quarter blood quantum being the, the lowest that they'll go, if they expand the blood quantum to include one, like people who are one eighth of that tribe, then that would open up the resources that that tribe is able to provide to their people. And then people would get fewer resources, I guess. Sure. If that makes sense. So, okay. but at the same time, you know, I guess pre-colonization before these rigid boundaries and lines and groups and classifications were made, you know, the tribes were not as siloed as, as we would think, you know, even within, so you have like, like larger confederacies, like the Iroquois, for example, and then smaller tribes. And then within those tribes, you had smaller communities. I mean, people were kind of interwoven and it was all very symbiotic. And, you know, even with colonization, people in tribes would take in children of settlers who were not able to care for them. So, you know, just because the enrollment paper might say that you're one quarter of a certain tribe, you could have ancestry from who knows what else. So it's just, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to really measure. That's super interesting. So fascinating. And thank you so much for taking the time to educate us, even just that little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, again, I had never heard of this. I I knew of this concept, but I didn't know what it was called and I didn't understand how it worked. Mm -hmm. So uh, just for me, thank you so much for teaching me more about it because I really didn't understand it. Agreed. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for giving me the space. Absolutely. So, from Forbes.com, Native American lands are owned and managed by the federal government. Nearly every aspect of economic development is controlled by federal agencies. All development projects on Native American land must be reviewed and authorized by the government, a process that is notoriously slow and burdensome. On Native American lands, companies must go through at least four federal agencies and 49 steps to acquire a permit for energy development. Off-reservation, it takes only four steps. This bureaucracy prevents tribes from capitalizing on their resources. I am making the worst fucking face (laughs) right now, and this is why. Hello, Native people. Here is this land that is uninhabitable that we're giving you because we're so generous. 
Also, we control that land. You can call it yours, but it's really not. And also, uh, here's 49 fucking steps of bullshit that your colonizing neighbors don't have to fucking do. It's like, here's the gift of red tape. Oh my god! Here's the gift of red tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, this is where red tape started. This is your housewarming present. Oh my god, that's so fucking asinine! I joke because I'm uncomfortable. I do. I laugh because I'm uncomfortable. That's welcome to taboos. I just, I seriously, like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What? Also, never what I was taught. I was told, and, and this isn't even just in education. This is in, like, Hollywood portrayals of native culture and the Native American experience, which obviously I know isn't accurate but to be so misconstrued is really really troublesome for me i think about all of the the portrayals of the reservation being sacred land and being protected which it is okay i i know that to the native american people it is but then to learn it's sacred and protected but really it's still owned by the fucking not Native American government. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so fucked up. Yeah. And I would be interested in learning more about that because, I mean, tribes do have a lot of sovereignty as far as their own governance. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I guess I did not know the bureaucracy of those kinds of, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it takes to be able to develop an energy system for your, yeah. you know, for your tribe. But it makes sense. I mean, and again, I don't mean to get too off topic, but I think of like most recently the COVID pandemic, how it um, just ravaged the Navajo reservation. You know, a lot of neighborhoods, villages out there, like they don't even have running water. So how are they supposed to protect themselves? Yeah. yeah. You know? Or similarly, I think about the North Dakota pipeline and all of yeah. the issues that that caused and all of the fuckery that is that we don't are not going to get into the fuckery to the level of which the fuckery was present. But specifically on the land concept, the American government fought so hard for so long saying this is our land and Native American people are saying, no, no, it's not. It's totally ours. But according to this concept... It truly is the American government's physical land. And I hear you, Louise, saying that Native cultures are given the opportunity to govern themselves, but I truly think that's people to people. Yes. As opposed to, okay, here's your property. You can also govern your property. That's not what they said. Yeah, it's probably more so like structures is the wrong word, but... They're tenants. They're tenants on that fucking property. Well, I'm thinking more along the lines of setting up your own infrastructure and business foundations and stuff like that. Basically setting yourself up as a community. Yeah. Yeah. For for development. But but I still go back to that literally only makes them tenants of that land. Yeah. That's like living in an apartment and your landlord says you can't paint the walls. Okay, well, I live here. I should be able to paint the walls. But I can't because I don't own this property. That's fucked up. Mm -hmm. uh, that Which, I, that pisses me off. And it, I mean, and it's my theory um, that that ties into 
the idea of blood quantum and the goal of diluting that so that there yeah. are fewer members on their land and it is easier than eventually for the federal government to take it back. I'm once again speechless. Mm-hmm. Two times in the same episode. I'm on a roll. Mission accomplished. <laughs> never fucking happens. And Louise is like, yes. yes. <laughs> so the next portion of information is about more um, individual statistics. Let's hear some numbers and statistics. Approximately 2% of the U.S. population is indigenous, according to the 2010 census. I love that that was the last fucking census that was done. Censuses are done every 10 years. Oh. You are keeping that in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Your face. You are so dead fucking. You are keeping that in this episode. When you said last episode that you were like, that's a, you said something about it being new information and you were being sarcastic. I thought you were being sarcastic to us for the sake of sarcasm. No. Because you were joking about no, it. No, I was dead ass serious. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, national censuses are completed every 10 years. Awesome. That's why I, that's why I said, yeah, it's 2020 now. <laughs> I love you. Please keep reading. <laughs> Put me out of my misery. Also, according to that census, data indicated that only 20% of American Natives and Alaska Natives lived, lived on reservations. The largest Native American populations are found in urban centers such as New York, LA, and Phoenix. Really? That's yeah. fascinating to me. little history behind that ties back into kind of what I was talking about in, I believe it was like the 1950s through the 1970s because there was no job opportunity, because there was no resources available on reservations, um, citizen or, or um, First Nation citizens were given the opportunity to relocate to urban centers in order to, um, they were well given the initiative to encourage job growth and um, fueled by capitalism and productivity. Um, so, so a lot of natives who were living on reservations up until the 1950s shifted to those urban areas. Um, And there's actually um, Minneapolis is one of the largest um, urban um, areas that is, I guess, densely native populated and as well as Milwaukee. Hmm. That's really cool. And I really didn't know that. So from ncrc.com. NCRC. The median income on a reservation is approximately 30,000 Compared to the national median income for Native Americans, which is approximately 40000 I thought that was an interesting difference. And I was that hoping, is. I didn't know if you would have anything to speak to that on. Um, well, I mean, I think it probably has to do with um, just the opportunities that are, or lack thereof, that are on the reservations um, compared to, um, to not being on the reservations. But, you know, moving off... Um, Moving off reservations definitely provides some obstacles. Um, you know, again, that kind of division of people who stayed with their um, with their family on their historical land or whatever uh, to those that 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 chose to relocate and then ultimately had no choice but to assimilate kind of into dominant culture of you know the cities around them. So that has to be so difficult to have to make a choice whether to leave and go somewhere to potentially 
hopefully personally prosper more or stay with your people and your culture and potentially potentially be stuck like i couldn't imagine having to make that decision i couldn't either Uh, what i do want to be sensitive to though is that indigenous culture is not the only culture where that conflict is faced oh yeah definitely not yeah i think that it's faced in every single culture and the to not have to face that i think is um something that dominant culture is very fortunate to not have to do yeah i agree you we can say that's a white privilege i think that is i love that you said it respectfully (laughs) and correctly but i'm gonna say that that's a white privilege so specifically i'm thinking of uh amish culture where uh, I totally am drawing a blank on the day. Rumspringa. Thank you. But mm-hmm. I mean, same concept of are you going to leave and maybe not not make it on your own? Are you leaving your family and your culture and, and how we raised you? Or are you going to stay here and then not leave? Mm-hmm. And your options are A, B, or C. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's that would be... That would be a terrible, terribly difficult decision to make. There's no good answer. Like, really, that's what it comes down to is you have to do what's right for you individually, but there is no good answer. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That median income, which, as a reminder, was approximately 40000 for those outside of reservations as of 2017, pales in comparison to a Caucasian income of 67000 naturally. As per the 2018 U.S. Census, Native Americans have the highest poverty rate among all minority groups at 25.4%. To put that in comparison to other groups, Black poverty rate was 20.8%, Hispanic was 17.6%, and White was 8.1%. That sucks. (laughs) Yeah, it seems about right, though. I mean, that is consistent with, um, you know, my research and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Sounds about right. The 2018 Bureau of Labor unemployment rate was 6.6%, with Caucasians at 3.5%. They also had the lowest educational achievement rates despite educational attainment over the years. According to the 2013-2017 to U.S. Census Bureau, 14.3% of Native Americans have a bachelor's degree or higher. In comparison, the percentage for Hispanics is 152 for blacks is 20.6 and for whites is 34.5. Wow. Because I have number dyslexia, mm-hmm. you said Native American was the highest percentage? Lowest. Lowest, lowest percentage. Yes. Is that something that you could speak to, Louise? Especially because we didn't talk about your education, Louise. So please tell us about your education. Sure. Um, so I recently obtained my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. So- Prior to that, I got my bachelor's in um, psychology and human development. So I am very fortunate to have been able to make it that far. Um, But, you know, as far as the obstacles in educational achievement, I think, um, again, it comes, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, You know, there's other adversities that affect Native communities at higher rates. In addition to poverty, things like substance abuse, domestic violence, all kind of interwovenly play into creating additional obstacles for people to achieve a higher education. In addition to the not wanting to leave your community in order to achieve that. 
higher mm-hmm. education. So, and I mean, in all of those things that I had spoken about, well, you know, poverty, substance abuse, domestic violence, I think all are symptoms of historical and intergenerational trauma that have been experienced as a result of colonization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like you were reading my notes because that's my next section. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was. I really don't have anything to add to that because you you really said it so well, but I just want to share how much I appreciate how well you said it because I just am over here just really genuinely processing all of the things that I'm learning here. I wish that people said those things more. Mm -hmm. Part of me also wonders if schools in areas that there are Native communities are given the same funding. I could probably just make the assumption that they're not. I think it's fair to assume that they're not. That, for instance, white communities are given. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, because education, educational funding is not a federal thing. It's a tax line thing. So, it depends on if you live in the... Property tax, yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. So, if you live in the quote-unquote rich neighborhood, your school will be extremely well-funded because their property taxes are so much higher. But if you live in a quote-unquote poorer neighborhood... Their property taxes are so much lower, so their education, which is so fucking stupid and so fucking wrong, and that is going to be an episode for sure where we talk about just educational funding and all of that, but I would agree that that's a really good question. And then also, what are those children being taught? Are they being taught, like, not education systems on the reservation, because I understand that then there's a much more cultural approach to education, which is so beautiful and I'm really appreciative of. But children who might not be enrolled in the cultural education, but still are of enough blood quantum to be Native American, right? But they're going to the Eurocentric school. Mm -hmm. What are those children being taught about their culture that's contradictory to what they know and believe in their families that then prevents them from really finding their identity to allow them to move forward with their educational pursuits Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think so like tribal schools that are organized within reservations are typically funded by the BIA, which is the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So they operate differently than like public schools that are tax funded. Okay. But, you know, similar to public schools, especially in impoverished neighborhoods, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes there is a lack of resources. There's a lack of teachers. There is not sufficient social services within those schools to address the behaviors of, of some children that could be emerging, again, as a result of that intergenerational trauma that continues to be passed on. Um, also, as a result of, you know, some of those other adversities that I had spoken to before. But yes, they do have the cultural piece in tribal schools, which I think is phenomenal. Like, agreed. When kids are struggling to get through their day-to-day or they're lacking in identity because they're walking this dichotomy between their, you know, native culture and dominant culture to have that cultural education, to give them a sense of identity and a sense of purpose definitely helps to counterbalance some of those adversities they're facing. Um, As far as public school goes, um, I can speak to that because my, um, 
children go to public school in our area. So they are not blood quantum wise enough to be enrolled in the tribe that I'm a citizen of. However, they are still very involved in the culture coming from our home, mm-hmm. um, first of all, but also the, um, a lot of the schools in this area provide native specific uh, education to the native students that attend the public schools. Um, oh, that's excellent. I love that. I didn't know that. Yeah. One of the drawbacks from it, though, is that for those kids who are attending mainstream schools, it almost silos them or isolates them even more when they're getting pulled out of class or getting pulled out of the lunchroom to go and participate in this native specific education. Yeah. Um, so, so it has its, it has its pros and cons. Um, but because, um, you know, I have a loud voice and I'm a strong advocate for the native community. Um, I was very fortunate that my kiddos teacher has, um, let me be a guest to educate the entire, um, grade that my child is in, which I think is necessary because non- Native students need to hear and have exposure to the Native cultures that their peers um, are a part of because, you know, we hear, uh, you know, just like we started talking about in the beginning, we hear history and social studies and everything taught from a mainstream lens. And so, you know, I'm slowly but surely working to advocate to have that Native perspective taught to non-Native students. That's amazing. I think that's absolutely beautiful and standing ovation to you for doing that. I I wish I wish there was more opportunity for all cultures that are represented in public schools to do that and mm-hmm. to really have I mean, I know at the high school that I went to had a quote-unquote diversity studies, but there was nothing our diversity studies class in high school that was diverse. I mean, there just wasn't. And I'm not knocking what my teacher at the time had or was able to do. I I think he genuinely had good intentions with this class. But to have somebody from the culture we are talking about come in and say, this is my culture. This is what this means. This is what this means to me. You should know about it. And also, here's the history that would just be such a different experience. And I truly think in the concept of going back to our white privilege episode of how do we get beyond this? How do we move away from even white privilege existing? That's how that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Is just having honest conversations about history and where these lines have been drawn and I'm not even saying let's call out the right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not saying that. I think it's important to understand the past and having this like clean slate moment of of just saying like, that's that. This is what it really was. This is what it really means. This is how we move forward. And honestly, just being educated is, that's the key to that. I agree. So... This is the behavioral health side of things that you psychically ascertained. So, oh, God damn it. This stupid thing corrected my typing for this website because it insisted it was HIS.gov and that's not what it was. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure, pretty sure this was IHS.gov and publicintegrity.org. 
from IHS.gov. Suicide rates for American Indians and American Native people are 1.6 times higher than the U.S. all-races rates. Wow. Domestic violence rates are also alarming, as American Indians slash American Native women are reported as having among the highest rates of sexual assault and intimate partner violence victimization. This little bit of information kind of adds on to that, and this is from publicintegrity.org. More than half of Native American women have been sexually assaulted, over a third of those being raped during their lifetimes. Let me reiterate, more than half. This is nearly 2.5 times higher than white women per National 2016 Institute of Justice study. More than two-thirds of the assaults are committed by non-Native people. The crazy thing to me is that those who assault Natives on reservations can't be arrested or prosecuted by tribal authorities under a 1978 Supreme Court decision. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. I'm sorry, what? What? Yeah. What? Okay. Yeah, because because tribes who have tribes who have um, criminal jurisdiction do not have the ability to prosecute non-tribal members, which is one of the reasons that human trafficking, sex trafficking, Native women are also four times more likely to be victimized in that way because of the, I guess, lack of jurisdiction on tribal lands. That's fucking disgusting. Like they're like native women are targeted on reservation land, knowing that because by non-native people, because the non-native perpetrators know that they cannot be prosecuted. That is literally the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard, ever, including the law that says that you cannot carry a chicken over the Minnesota border. Fuck that. And from what I saw too, essentially when. Cases are brought to whatever jurisdiction that they happen to be in. They're generally dismissed out of hand three quarters of the time. Uh-huh. I just I just don't understand. I go back to that concept of self-governance, right? And, and land allotment. We gave you this land. Make the best of it. It's still our land. The gift of red tape. Okay, blah, 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 blah. But take care of yourselves. But you can't you can't protect yourselves against anyone who looks like us. Mm-hmm. That's fucking wrong. That's fucking wrong. That That's literally just, oh my God, that you can't protect yourself in your own home. Yeah. When I read those statistics, so initially when I read the higher violence statistics, mm-hmm. my brain went, what the fuck? But then yep. when I read that they couldn't be tried by the tribe, my brain went, what the fuck? Like My brain stopped working. I I genuinely, you guys, you, you saw my face, dear listeners, I had, I had an absolute jaw-dropped blank fucking expression of I do not compute. And then to Louise's point of, especially in our area over the summer, as there was a lot of activism happening, there was a lot of talk about the missing indigenous women in our community. And I I just didn't, I knew it was a bad thing. Okay, that sounds fucking ignorant and stupid. I knew it was serious. I knew it was wrong. But I did not understand that Native American people are then not 
allowed to prosecute or pursue justice or 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 anything. They're literally not. Mm-hmm. That's fucking wrong. Oh my god. Let me reclarify though. They are allowed to against quote their own people, but not not their own people, like air quotes. That's 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 just I've never heard you make that noise. I I think that noise describes the situation perfectly. I agree. That is the (laughs) most white privilege fucking example of white privilege I've ever fucking heard. I agree. That's fucking wrong and and just holy shit. To clarify though, that doesn't just apply to only white individuals. That applies to individuals of all races. It doesn't and you are correct. But the rule was put in place by yes, white people. Yes. To protect white people. To protect yes. white people. And I just, I am just absolutely fucking beside myself. Please say more fucking things because I literally just, I'm just going to sit here. This is where I would normally ramble. And I have no ramble because I'm just, my brain is like, make this stop i don't know i don't know what my brain is doing right now this is so fucked up okay on some reservations indigenous women are murdered at more than 10 times the national average holy fuck holy fuck yep actually super fast time out super fast and i'm glad that you said that because i was thinking about her the whole time i know of a woman who was recently murdered and it took like three fucking months for them to even confirm that it was her body. Like they just didn't even try, and she's native. Yeah, I think there have been an additional two other women from that same area that you're talking about that have been missing since the beginning of the summer. Yes, she was missing for months, and they just like couldn't find her. And then they apparently found her. They found her body in a car. And she had been torched in the car. And then they, like, they didn't do the testing that they were supposed to do for a long time. And they just kind of were like, well, we'll do it when we can. Her name was Stephanie. I think the important piece there is that there isn't recognition. There isn't accountability. Native people aren't then, they're not even allowed to protect themselves. No group of people should ever be murdered 10 times more than the national average. First of all, nobody should be murdered. Well, except some, pedophiles. Some people should be murdered. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yes. But to your point, to have that be so drastic is just mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, holy fuck. That's in a room of a hundred people. Ten of them are just murdered. Mm-hmm. Just cause. Yep. I just, mm. Oh, Stephanie, Stephanie Greenspawn. Thank you for finding it. I, I know for a fact that I had shared the post and I just couldn't find it. Stephanie Greenspawn? Yeah, Stephanie, G-R-E-E-N-S-P-O-N. Thank you for finding that. Mm-hmm. And I know she had children, like she has young children. And her perpetrator, the the man who killed her, was white. That hits close to home for me. That's mm-hmm. That was my correlation here. With those numbers being so high, I don't personally know Stephanie, but I do personally know somebody who very personally knows Stephanie. So it's not even like six degrees of separation. It's genuinely one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And I just, to know that then to your point, Louise, that there were two or three other women in that area that experienced very, very similar things. That if are not still the missing. same, yeah, that are that, still missing, if not mm-hmm. the same exact thing, right? Yeah. We don't know. Mm-hmm. That's just fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the, not to go back too far to the, you know, dehumanization concept, but it's like we are just, as people just not recognized, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To, to the effect that there was no data collection on missing and murdered Indigenous women until 2006 is when they started collecting data to come up with statistics because they're just, it was so unrecognized that they're, that they didn't even feel the need to track that data up until 2006. That's disturbing. That's so disturbing. In the year 2016, there was nearly 6,000, you know, once they started tracking the data, in 2016, there was nearly 6,000 women, Indigenous women, who went missing or were murdered, and only 2% of them were ever reported to the FBI, which is the only place that you can get prosecution on tribal land, you know, is through the FBI because it's federally, you know, controlled. So 2% went to the FBI out of 6,000 almost. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I just don't have anything to say. I have a lot of things to say. I just don't have anything productive to say because that's fucked. That's so fucked up. Oh my God. That's so fucked up. I can't imagine what that would do to a group of people. It's not just what that family went through. It's not just what that victim went through. But knowing that this on a macro level can be a pl- this this theory, this concept, this cruelty on a macro level can be applied to a group of people all over our country. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. But here we are having the conversation. To here we are. Right? And, so and that is, this is thank all, you. you. Know? <laughs> yes, because that is where it starts. I'm sorry. I just got so overwhelmed and just, I got, honestly, I got overwhelmed in my ignorance. Like that's, that's what it, that's what I just experienced is that I didn't know these things that I didn't, I didn't understand to the level I should have as an ally of all people, of all cultures right? Like I take pride in that and I didn't know these things. And I just, I'm just, I I don't have words. Working to learn is the first step though. It is. And I really appreciate this entire conversation and listeners. I, I really appreciate you being here with us for this conversation. Same. Same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so cute. So from AmericanAddictionCenters.org. The rate of substance dependence or abuse is higher among Native Americans than any other population group in the country. 2018 National Survey on Drug Use and Health Use found that 10% of Native Americans have a substance use disorder, 4% of Native Americans have an illicit drug use disorder, and 7.1% of Native Americans have an alcohol use disorder. You know, those numbers, though, don't really alarm me, given that your options are stay in this uninhibited land and make $30,000 a year at max because you don't have any other fucking options. Like, it's not surprising to me that people turn to such toxic outlets because 
what are their fucking other options? I get what you're saying. It's, I mean, and it's a coping mechanism, you know, when, when you have experienced trauma and you've seen your parents experience trauma and it goes back generations and generations, it is exactly easier to cope with those things by not, by drowning them or escaping or whatever those substances do. And it's a lot of freaking hard work to learn about the historical trauma to identify it within yourself and then to take the steps to overcome that and when your community maybe doesn't put resources into that education or or provide resources to overcome that addiction or acknowledge that generational trauma i mean i don't want to say it makes sense but it's not excusable but it is explainable Mm -hmm. Yes. I yeah, I think that's really where I was going with that too is I'm not I'm not condoning or encouraging that behavior at all but I I understand it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's just heartbreaking. That's that's just heartbreaking on a whole different level. Addiction as a whole is heartbreaking, but to know that addiction of any kind the numbers are that high specifically for a group of people because of those reasons that's just just sad as fuck like yeah and i wish Mm -hmm. that i wish and i hope for and i am determined to be a part of a solution to that Mm -hmm. well thank you yes i absolutely appreciate your guys's allyship (laughs) for sure for real and i i think that's that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want with our podcast is to be that for people and not just indigenous people, not just black people, not even just on racial topics as a whole, like in general. Yeah. Anybody who needs representation. Exactly. We are a representative space. Yeah. Or uh, maybe I didn't say that as gracefully as I wanted <laughs> to, but I mean, seriously, that's really important to us. So Thank you, Louise, for being a a part of this conversation and experience with us. And thank you, listeners, for being here in this safe, inclusive, beautiful, respectful space. Like, this just means the whole world to me. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you, listeners, for listening to my ramblings. We love ramblings. (laughs) Those two already said the things, so. (laughs) Dead inside, (laughs) checking in. Check, check. Those things. (laughs) So, uh, that's all I had, guys. <laughs> I mean, I have, we have so many questions, though. Uh, I don't. You don't have questions? No, I mean, I have, well, um, no, I have two. All mine were answered otherwise. Okay. So, my first question is, do you have any indigenous people specifically that you wish their stories were told? Like, if you could think of one person whose story you wish was told, who would it be? Does that make sense? And that could be throughout history or in your personal experience. Well, I guess what comes to mind is the story that I shared about how the Oneida people contributed to winning the American Revolution. I think that is really... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's immediately what I thought of. 
I was like, what? I've heard of that. Yeah. Like that is what comes to mind. <laughs> um, yeah. That's what comes to mind. I can remember seeing one of my kiddos doing their like revolutionary war play and you know, it was scripted. I get it. But here I'm uh -huh. like in the audience looking at the stage and there's all these like multicultural brown people. A lot of them, um, you know, have indigenous heritage and culture and yet they are being forced to tell a story that their ancestors participated in, but are not allowed to incorporate their version of the story. So that I think, um, yeah, just a, fun snippet from the school system perspective. Um, but yeah. The Polly Cooper story would be my number one. <laughs> that, Shout out to Polly Cooper. Yeah. That was one thing that I actually wrote down was that this yes. false narrative of Thanksgiving just needs to fucking end. Like it needs to end. And I'm not even of the camp of like, let's abolish the holiday as in, again, conceptually what it represents. But like, we need to have a real sit down conversation about what happened, who was wrong, apologies need to be made, and we need to move forward in some sort mm -hmm. of cohesive presence. Mm -hmm. Again, not saying like, fuck Thanksgiving in the concept of being grateful for the things that you have and whatever. That's not what I mean, but like, mm -hmm. reparations are due. Right, because you can't be thankful for what you have without acknowledging how you got there. Exactly. Exactly. And if if everyone and their brother is operating on this false pretense of this was this harmonious moment and and the pilgrims and the Native Americans came together and had this bountiful feast together, which is exactly what we're doing here. Ha ha ha. Aren't we lucky? That's not what fucking happened. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I really do struggle with that as somebody who genuinely loves what this holiday means to me and my family and yet what this means to you and your family and how that's not the same holiday. Like that's mm -hmm. just, that's hard for me. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. So I have some fun cultural questions. Okay. Like I'm excited about these questions. I had one more question. I want you to ask your one more question because <laughs> okay. I have fun questions and I don't know if this is fun question no this is probably it's probably, probably not idea, fun it's probably, probably not a fun question you and then i'll stand on your questions uh my question is what do we do how do we move forward what do we do to fix it what are the next steps i think that next steps are to become involved in the schools um i think it needs to come from both angles i think it needs to come with having conversations with our children um and preparing them to teach the next generation and i think it also comes with advocating for what is taught is at school um it's eliminating the practice mm -hmm. of separating the white kids from the non-white kids to put on a performance of Pilgrims and Indians. Um, it it comes from, you know, I, mm -hmm. yeah. I've heard horror stories in schools of for Native American Heritage Day. They're going to let everybody pick out their, quote, Indian name. Um, and that is garbage. Oh, like, fuck that. It just completely dismisses um, what it means to have a traditional name. So... I think, I mean, it, it starts at home and it starts in the schools. And I hope that the listeners will mm -hmm. take that and start having these conversations maybe at Thanksgiving around the table or um, to call and ask their child's school, what are you doing to honor Native American Heritage Month? Listeners, <laughs> this is your call to action. It is. And then, you know what? Here's what I want to say to that too. Here's what I want to say to that call to action. 
do that and then do not tweet us about it. Like, don't tell us that you did it. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't something that you should get credit for. This isn't this isn't that. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. It's it's the human thing to do. You don't get credit for doing a human thing. But I will give you a thumbs up to anybody that does it. There's my thumbs up right now. Yeah. Yes. We're sending <laughs> you love and gratitude, but also no pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird it's a weird moment. Um so you had mentioned traditional names. Do you, can I ask do you have a traditional name? I do not. Okay. No, I have um I have not gone through the proper channels um and spoken with elders to get a traditional name. But okay. I will one day. One day and we will celebrate mm-hmm. with you when you do. Heck that yeah. would be so awesome. amazing. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um okay, so some of my fun questions um, are, can you help educate not only us, but also our listeners to the traditional concept of a powwow? What does a powwow mean to you? What does it mean to your culture? This is a um, a thing that I feel like it's misrepresented often. Mm-hmm. And I know that powwows are a beautiful celebration um that's not i don't think that's the part that gets misrepresented it's the meaning behind why so can you help us understand just truly like what that means to you sure um so you know again like i had said earlier there are over you know there's almost close to 600 federally Mm -hmm. recognized tribes each with their own unique language culture music um and everything so within those tribes traditionally there were ceremonial practices, okay? Um, Those ceremonial practices included song and dance. Um, I don't know that in any one of those languages was their ceremony actually identified as a powwow. Um, I think a powwow is kind of more of a modernized um, term that is used collectively among, like, across the board of Native cultures um, to identify a different type of celebration or ceremony because now what powwows really are are a coming together of nations so for example if you go to a powwow on any reservation you're going to have different styles of clothing and dance from across the country Mm -hmm. and so what it what it kind of has transformed from traditional song dance celebration it it has kind of molded into this like collective celebration of song and dance for all nations that are represented there and really you know what it is it's i mean it's almost more like now if you go to a powwow i would almost compare it to um you know to to a festival i guess is the best term that i can think of to put it into perspective for people who haven't been to a powwow you know there's food vendors there's clothing vendors, there's jewelry vendors, um, and then there are drummers. And typically what they do is they will have what they call a grand entry where all of the dancers who are in their traditional regalia um, will come in and dance. And then from there, it is kind of broken into really like dance competitions based on category and age where you compete in against other people who are dancing in the same style and dressed in the same style of regalia. Okay. If does that help clarify? Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. I love that. That sounds uh, that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that's so cool. Beautiful. 
I mean, it is just, it is breathtaking to be a part of that. And I mean, barring COVID or aside from COVID this year, um, the powwows in this area are always open to the public. Oh, Oh. I love that news. That was actually going to be one of my other questions because (laughs) I have uh, a lot of friends. I mean, Kel is native. Kel is half native and half white. She participates in some things, but not all things. And I really want to be like, let's go to a powwow. But I didn't want to be disrespectful because it's not like a, it's not just something that I want to just see for myself. I truly want to experience it. I truly want to be there to appreciate it for its beauty i'm not it's not just my curiosity and like let's do something because it's friday like i really want to go but i didn't i didn't know that that was the thing that was open to the public so that i think is amazing and beautiful and i Mm -hmm. really would want to go to that i would also want to come with okay we'll we'll go yeah let's do it next summer yes no covid bye covid by COVID. Yep. <laughs> we have we have plans for we, 2021. We're going to be busy, COVID. You got to fucking go. Okay, so my next question was, I know so little about this. So I really just, I mean, I don't want this to be a sad question. I don't think it sh- is supposed to be a sad question, but it's not really like a, based on a happy concept. Um, can you tell us a little bit about ritualistic funerals in your culture? Because... I've heard some pieces and I think it's absolutely the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in celebrating somebody's life. And I would really love to hear more about that. Can you tell us about that? I honestly, I don't know a lot. I, okay. There are, because of, because there are so many different um, variations you know, and cultures Yeah, and variations. Yeah. Um, there are. I'm trying to think. I mean, so there's 11 different tribes in Wisconsin, um, okay. which all have different, I guess, traditions in accordance to funerals. Um, however, a lot of that is kind of enmeshed in doing funerals similar to like dominant culture, the way that they do it. Okay. One of the more prevalent customs when somebody does pass away, and this is, I don't want to say universal through all tribes, but common. Okay. Um, is to have a fire. And um, depending on what tribe, that fire could last seven days. Some Sometimes it's four days. Sometimes it's up to 10 days, depending on the culture. But what that fire represents is carrying that spirit back to the spirit world, back to the sky world, back to the creator's world, you know, whatever that specific tribe might believe in. So so having having a fire that burns for a significant amount of time is common. That is so beautiful. So beautiful. And isn't it true that that fire is manned at all times to ensure that it does not go out? Like that it is a it's a community thing and it is truly the responsibility of members of the community to take shifts to ensure that the fire stays thriving. Yes. I think that's beautiful. It is tended to, you know, through all hours of the night while it's burning. Um, and you know, I have heard, um, community members talking about how, you know, they have been up with, you know, really inventive ideas on how to keep that fire burning at four o'clock in the morning when it feels like there's a monsoon going through the area. (laughs) And that is dedication. That is dedication and so beautiful. And I think, I think what I really appreciate about that just in general is that, okay, this is me being real honest with you guys. Grief is the only 
emotion that I have no idea how to process. Like my little empath self can understand and identify what I'm feeling, what you're feeling. Okay. I process all emotions pretty thoroughly. Grief is the one I genuinely don't understand. It's not that I don't feel sad. It's not that I don't empathize. It's not that. I just, I just don't understand grief. Okay. I just don't get it. It, it, I shut down. It, I'm just numb. Okay. I think it's because I'm so fragile that I just don't know how to do it. Also, I've never truly experienced loss that was unnecessary. But when I think about a funeral in a traditional sense, that we would be exposed to. It's just sad. It's so sad. And it should be, right? You've lost someone. But when I think about the fire ceremony and that it is truly a a community effort and whoever is involved, I mean, seriously, that dedication to this person and celebrating their life for a period of time, days, where the whole community gets to mourn together, but not only mourn, celebrate. I think that is so unbelievably beautiful. And in my weird little self that doesn't understand grief, I very much gravitate towards that concept in thinking about loss instead of the traditional concept, like I said, of a funeral. Like I just, funerals Mm -hmm. just, I just, I just don't, I just don't do them. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the, you know, the the collective, I guess, mindset that even even though your body might not still be living in this physical world, we're still going to come together as a community to help you along your journey to whatever is next. Yeah, I think that's just so beautiful and spiritual and magical. Do you have thoughts? I agree. I'm just a person that prefers to celebrate the life as opposed to the morning of their death. So yeah, I look at I, I look at death differently. I think than most. I think that also plays into the fact that I'm not spiritual. So that could be that could be, and I respect your position and your perspective on it, no matter what. And I think that's important. Do you have anything, Louise, that you would like to share with us and with our listeners that maybe we didn't get into today? That is just something that you think is just so important that you want people to know or. For, for people to hear you say the floor is completely yours do you have anything like that I think just you know which I'm sure your listeners probably already are very open-minded to be able you know what I mean to absorb the concepts that you guys talk about on your show um so I guess I'm just I'm grateful for people having these conversations um I I think a lot of the topics that we talked about today, I could honestly go on for days um, oh, on I'm each sure. topic. So I, I guess any final words, we'll just have to maybe save for a follow-up episode down the road. Stay I love tuned. this plan. I do love <laughs> that plan. Okay. Well, awesome. So yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better, honestly. And I sincerely look forward to a follow-up episode and – Honestly, just having you back on the show in general, because I know that you're so passionate about so many things that plague our country, uh, specifically, like I know that you have a very deep involvement in the homelessness community, not only in our area, but that's something that you're passionate about on a macro level. 
I, I want us to do, we will be doing a homeless episode and poverty in the, this country. And I think I've me- mentioned food deserts, like all that shit. And I would love to have, have you and your perspective and your experience and knowledge on those episodes as well, uh, or those c- concepts and topics as well, just because I loved uh, talking with you. I mm-hmm. loved what you brought to the conversation intellectually, culturally. I just I loved this. I agree. I hated awesome. it. I loved it too. I loved it. it was it was a new experience for me, and I can walk out of it and say it wasn't so bad. And maybe I'll do it again. Oh, love that! <laughs> love that glowing review. <laughs> no, it was great. You guys are awesome. I was I was literally like terrified just because I didn't know what to expect but you guys were so welcoming and facilitated such an amazing conversation and I am so grateful oh thank you and like I said we make asses of ourselves every five seconds we do it's true like (laughs) you're the only credible one here right that is really (laughs) true you You and Axel you guys are awesome so thank you as Celeste said thank you for really helping us bring in the final episode of no fucks given november no i seriously november. think this is going out with such a bang i do too i it's really been do amazing. it has it has i've been just loving every single episode so much for such different reasons and oh my god just to to have this experience so early in our career as a podcast and to see that people have been so receptive to it gives me hope for humanity. It does. That that there are genuinely other people out there who love the way the way that we do, just openly, that are just good. Yep. I just shout out to good people. Shout out to good people. Yeah, shout out to good people. And fuck Christopher Columbus one more time. Fuck, Christ- fuck Christopher Columbus! <laughs> <laughs> I love that we had to sneak it in once more. One more time, yeah. Hey, what did you learn here today? (gasps) What did I learn here today? Oh my God, don't ask me that question because I genuinely, I learned, I learned, you know what? I'm giving you a 30 second floor. That's fine, that's fine. I got this, ready? Time. I learned that I genuinely can be speechless. Ooh, that's a good one. Thank you. Oh, snap. I was ready Twice. for some. <laughs> Two yeah, times. I was ready for some, like, huge monologue. I know you were. Wow. That, that was a good one. Don't leave me hanging. Wow. Oh, it can happen. <laughs> I think our listeners are like, what the fuck? <laughs> My mind actually just got blown. That's how I felt this whole episode was just genuinely, like, in my head like every time every time anything like i just speechless i genuinely i don't i it's not that i don't have anything to say it's that i don't know how to compute what i heard and i just there like no words speechless Mm -hmm. yeah what did you learn here today that i want to just burn all the history books in schools and (laughs) fucking go pen them in myself start over Ugh. I mean, they won't be able to read my handwriting, but at they least won't. it's in there, I'll, then. I'll translate for you. Excellent. I'll transcribe. I got you. I love this plan. Yeah. Louise. I'll help. You, Why not? Yeah. I love this. 
you were the epitome of knowledge in this episode, but did you learn anything today? We just like to ask because we like learning, so. Hmm. I did not know uh, what you had shared about the hoops to jump through. The Here you're gifted with oh, red yeah, tape. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you can govern and be sovereign on your own, but these are all the hoops that you have to jump through to to do that. So that was, you know, like I knew some of it, but not all of it. So that was really helpful. Nice. Here you are, your own people, JK, LOL. (laughs) Okay, so since I was speechless and all of my words were on reserve for this episode, I mean, you guys, I I think this was the episode that I spoke the least, and it's just because my brain was like, nope, not doing that today. Um, (laughs) Just, I don't, I, I was here and participating and coherent, and yet at the same time, I just not, I have nothing. I just, I have nothing because I have so many things. So this is me contributing by starting our outro. Yay. 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 So uh, I want to do a super fast shout out to our supporters, our listeners, to everybody who has gotten us here to this point. We love you guys. We absolutely love you guys. All of our guests. Uh, So far, we've had Andrew Miss Dana, Miss Taisha, and today Miss Louise. Like we couldn't, we couldn't have these conversations without you guys as guests. So just for everyone who has participated, shared, loved us, doesn't matter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In the spirit of what Thanksgiving means to me, on the good side, I am grateful for you as listeners, for other people as supporters for our guests, and for you as my partner in this crazy dream that I had of, of making a podcast happen. So that's my that's my thankful moment as we end this episode on Thanksgiving. Do you have a thankful moment? Literally all the things you just said, too. All so. the things. And Axel. Look at him. He's handsome. So handsome. And Beast. I'm so glad that Static is back. I'm thankful for that, too. In the thought of being thankful, shout outs to Dads on Dayquil, who plug us every opportunity they get. I love the dads so unbelievably much. I just genuinely, like, they are our number one cheerleaders. Yeah, I'd say so. That's a fair <laughs> That's a fair assessment. And now, dear dads, I want pictures of the three of you in cheerleading outfits. And if no, it doesn't happen... I don't want this. <laughs> absolutely not okay all right you're right i take it back but we do love you guys and you are our biggest cheerleaders and we are so grateful for each and every one of you thank you thank you thank you maybe josh just a little bit less but jordan and aj for sure just kidding josh love you too i'm actually gonna shout out jim from film rage too because i You've been breaking my heart on Twitter with some of your comments. I know. Oh, they're so beautiful and meaningful. And you always pick the best gifts. Oh, I love you. So, yeah, that's all I got. You know, I think that's okay. I think, I think I'm think i good with that. You shouted out Jim from Film Rage. I shouted out the dads. We obviously have other people that we're grateful for in our Twitter family, but... I just have to say, too, Danielle from Geesebumps has been showing up in the oh, comments. Oh, yes, Danielle. Just yes. going to war with anybody who she is does. She does. racist, and I absolutely <laughs> love it. After the 
after the Black Women Matter episode, she was her her comment about like calling people a rancid pile of trout or some shit. <laughs> yeah. She was like, "Come at me, racists." So and basically, like, basically, what we're seeing is you guys are fucking awesome. Yeah, we are. We are saying exactly that. So thank you to everybody who has helped us and loved us and supported us and gotten us to this point. Uh, if you would like to continue to support us in this journey, we do have a Patreon. The link is in the show notes. I'm not being lazy. I'm just trying to be effective and efficient. And Allie likes to plug that they're in the show notes because we can't be found on Patreon in any other way because we're quote unquote explicit, apparently. Um, <laughs> yep. I'm the reason we're explicit. That's awesome. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Taboos the Pod. We are also Taboos the Pod on Instagram. We are just Taboos on Facebook. And our email, if you ever want to send us anything, including your experiences with racism or any of our topics, genuinely, you are welcome to send those to us. Just no dick pics. If you listen to our Porn versus Reality episode, very clear exception to the rule, no dick pics. Our email is T-A-B-O-O-Z-E podcast at gmail.com. Like I said, we're open to whatever. So send it on over. If you have other concepts or topics for taboo culture, we would love to hear it. Like we've talked about before, we have a thousand bajillion things to talk about, but we definitely want you guys to tell us what you want to hear about. So please don't ever hesitate to send us your taboo topics. Also, just please continue to share us. The best thing you can do to help us grow and help us continue to get this message out there is share us. Even if it's just with one person, it helps so much, guys. It does because you don't, we don't know, we meaning you and us, don't know what that message could mean to someone else. So us reaching people is really our goal, not in the sense of we just want to be successful, which is important to us, but more important to us is helping people and having these conversations and helping to normalize these conversations and encouraging other people to recognize and to feel that they are not alone and that we are having these conversations so that people as a whole understand even just a sliver of somebody else's perspective. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you. I really felt like I butchered it, so I appreciate that you congratulated me. Another high five. That was a terrible one, but okay. So I think that's what I had. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for this journey of No Fucks Given November. No Fucks Given November. Oh, I can't wait to sing that next year. Like, we're going to keep the jingle. Sounds good. Yeah. If you survive No Fucks Given November and you would like to purchase a shirt, they will be up on our Patreon page. You can get it to commemorate your time here with us. What she meant by Patreon page was merch page. I didn't mean our Patreon page. I, in fact, meant our merch page, (laughs) which will also be in the show notes. It's late, guys. It is. All right. Well, on that note, do do you you be taboos. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 